0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Changing Faith Podcast. I am I am so thrilled about today's episode uh, because right around the start of the pandemic here in the United States, I introduced you to my friend, Dr. Timothy Royer. He's someone, as I mentioned then, who's looked at my brain, diagnosed my brain, strengthened my brain, and you might already be thinking, if you haven't listened to the last episode he was on, what in the world are you talking about? Or you might be thinking, Well, he didn't do a good job because your brain still needs a lot of work. And uh, the episode that he was on is episode 54, one of the most listened to episodes in the history of the podcast and the number one episode uh, in the year 2020. And now 16 episodes later, Tim Royer, also known simply as Royer or Doc, is back with us. And he and his work have helped me immensely, both from the level of brain science and breathing, But today we're going to talk not about brain science or breathing, we're going to talk together about sleep. And I'm going to say this right at the top. I am not a great sleeper. And when I say that, I should say I'm a terrible sleeper. And by terrible sleeper, I don't mean that once I'm asleep, I don't rest well. What I mean is that I am a night owl. And if I'm even being more honest, I enjoy having fun. And so I can always make an excuse to cut some hours off sleep here or there especially on a Friday night if I want to stay up, watch a movie or Sports Center, And uh, so today is about all of us learning together and understanding the connection between sleep and its impact on emotional, spiritual, and physical health. And more than that, the first episode of season four of the podcast was about rest and renewal. And there are connections between that and sleep as well that we'll explore today. So with that said, I'm excited to introduce you to or reintroduce you to Dr. Timothy Royer. Tim is a neuropsychologist based out of Grand Rapids, where he is as we record today. He is the founder of Royer Neuroscience and is interested in the holistic well-being of people. Tim, my friend, welcome back to the Changing Faith Podcast.
1: Man, it is so good to be back. Number one episode, 2020. That's big. (laughs) That's big time, man. I'm going to put that on my resume.
0: (laughs) I just realized I might have set the bar really high for people who haven't listened to you yet.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's very relative, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess so. Uh,
0: But first off, what should our listeners know about you beyond your work as a neuropsychologist?
1: Well, A, number one, I'm a committed Jesus follower and uh, have been, uh, and that is a huge part of my life. It is a filter by which... I interpret all kinds of things, uh, science, relationships, helping people. Um, number two, uh, I'm a husband of my wife, uh, Amy, uh, 32 years, and Amy and I actually work together. She's a, a, nu- a nurse with uh, specialty in functional nutrition, and we've worked together for over 20 years, uh, helping many, many people, and we're both very, very passionate about the um, bringing Christ to people via science and health and wellness, um, because we believe those two worlds uh, are linked together. Hmm. And um, apart from that, Father, four adult children now, which, wow, that's getting me up there. Uh, <laughs> but those are the real important things in, in my life. But uh, my in my career, um, I've seen a lot of things, Been been in this field for 26 years, and um, it's really out of some of the brokenness in behavioral science and mental health that uh, God has directed me to, to look at uh, science at a much deeper level and find ways to address some of these conditions and uh, things that people are dealing with in a much more holistic way. The answer isn't just knee-jerk chemically, alter your brain all the time. There is a time and a place for those kind of things. But there's so much more. And the topic we're talking about today uh, is really a big one in all of this. Uh, probably the most important part of our overall performance or our mental health is sleep. And I'm super excited to talk about it. I would say probably the area that's grown the most in my work in the last um, five years has been sleep. Uh, we're doing so much in the area of sleep with hormones and measuring sleep cycles and all kinds of things. And it's, it's just a really exciting area to be involved in.
0: Man, I can't wait to learn learn more. Let me say right at the top, it's uh, it's refreshing to hear somebody who sees the union of spirituality, the Christian faith, and science, and not how those things are opposed. And I know for many who are listening, they probably feel the same way hearing you say that. Um, it's it, it, yeah. So thanks for thanks for yeah. continuing to be on the journey of learning and teaching others. Um, on the last episode. When you were with us, um, we talked a whole lot about the brain. And uh, by the way, if you've not listened to that, like I already said, it's episode 54. Um, And it seems looking at the brain, talking about the brain seems to be an obvious connection to neuropsychology. Sleep offhand does not seem to be such an obvious connection. And so I'm wondering what got you to the place where you began studying sleep and its effect and impact on the holistic Uh, human body, mind, spirit, emotions, spirituality, so on and so forth.
1: Yeah, like I said earlier, I've been doing this for about 26 years, but it's really not since maybe 10 years ago that I really started to look into sleep in relation to the two areas that I primarily work in are the clinical sphere, which would have your ADHD, your anxiety, depression, uh, sleep disorders, PTSD, all those things that you think of when you think of clinical things. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then I have this other area that about 50% of my work is done in is, which is peak performance, working with executives, athletes, high performing people that realize that what really is going to set them apart is their brain, how their brain functions. And so, um, As I was in that field, that space, I started to see that um, a huge element in peak performance was uh, sleep cycles. And uh, we were talking about this earlier, but there was a a big piece in ESPN last year that really kind of summarizes about six years of work that I did in the NBA uh, with professional athletes, over 400 Hmm. NBA athletes. And I was initially working with these athletes from a peak performance, from a brain enhancement. But as the, in the NBA, as the season was progressing, rather than some of their brains get stronger, like what I normally would see, they were getting weaker. And I was trying to figure out why are these guys not getting stronger? And what the data was pushing me back to was their sleep cycles, If those of you out there that know about the NBA – Uh, probably the most difficult part of that is all the travel, east, west, constantly, and the shift of their circadian rhythm or their sleep cycle. And we started to analyze this and started to realize what's changing these guys' brains, even though they're very healthy, fit, top-of-notch athletes, was their sleep cycles. And their sleep cycles were affecting their hormones. So these guys were... Top level in hormones like testosterone were super high, which you would expect from a elite athlete. But as their sleep would get deprived, their testosterone would drop. And by the end of the season, some of them would look as if they were 50 years old and they're 22 elite athletes. And I started to realize what's changing this is in this microcosm of a basketball season we are creating basically sleep disorders in these guys by making them travel so much and change your time zones.
0: Fascinating.
1: And, yeah. And that really started to pique my interest in how much is sleep affecting all this? Well, we went on to find out that it's a huge effect with testosterone and then it also sets these guys up for injury or physical problems uh, problems with their immune system and all kinds of stuff. And so then I started to look at this in the clinical space and started to realize, digging a little bit deeper into this, that a lot of the disorders that we're dealing with actually have a huge sleep component, and it may be one of the primary ones, especially in things like depression and bipolar. Uh, Your listeners might not be aware of this. I wasn't until I kind of digged into this, but over 30% of people who have an attention disorder, over 30% have an underlying sleep problem that nobody's addressing. And I don't know if you know much about the medicine that you use for a sleep for ADHD, but that is an amphetamine or a stimulant. (laughs) So the last thing that you want to introduce into your system, if you have an underlying sleep problem would be an amphetamine because that's going to make your sleep worse. It's like having six cups of espresso when you have an underlying sleep problem, right? It's just not going to work. And so what started to happen is the more that we've gotten into sleep, the more we've realized that sleep has a has an impact across almost every disorder that somebody could experience. Oh. Every medical condition. I mean, the the impact on longevity, quality of life, productivity, medical costs, mental health, growth, obesity inflammation immunity our learning our cognition our cardiovascular health all tied into sleep and there has been some estimates that if we would get people sleeping correctly we would reduce visits to doctor's office by 50 percent by just improving sleep so i guess as i started (laughs) to see the elephant in the room i thought we ought to start doing something about this i wasn't formally trained in sleep, but it's where the brain led me, which was interesting because my formal training is in the brain. And what I started to find out is the brain needs this more than anything else. And it is probably the most important part of our 24-hour day is sleep.
0: That is amazing. And so you're talking about – I have like a million questions – First, yeah, let me ask ahead. this. You use the term several times, sleep cycles. Yeah. Um, can you explain what sleep cycles are? And you're saying our brain needs this. What happens? Let's say like, for example, last night um, was not a night where I stayed up late and I got nine hours of sleep. What happened to my body and my brain and everything else when I lay down at 10 and woke up at seven?
1: Yeah. Okay. So, Let's talk. Uh, set the base for this by understanding that there are two primary ways, and it's going to be one or the other that an individual is going to sleep. Okay, and both of these ways have a different uh, chemical reaction that's happening. So the two ways, and we'll we'll probably say this over and over throughout the podcast, is you either have a circadian rhythm where the sleep cycle works hand in hand. With the rising and the setting of the sun. And the two primary chemicals that are released to set this cycle is something called cortisol, is very high in the morning when the sun rises. And when cortisol cortisol goes very high, then melatonin, which makes us sleep, goes really, really low. Melatonin does not like light. Light is its its enemy, okay? But (laughs) But adrenaline likes light. And so we wake up with a burst of adrenaline for those people who don't have that in the morning. They usually compensate for that by adding a lot of stimulant like coffee, caffeine to give them that same burst to start the day because they're missing that cortisol burst, okay? And Mm. that cortisol goes high and the adrenaline or the uh, melatonin goes low. And then as the day progresses, the cortisol or the adrenaline By noon, cuts to a third of its morning volume. So about eight units goes down to about two to three units. When the sun starts to set, the cortisol or the adrenaline should go below one unit. So it makes a vast drop. So think of like a sine wave or a curve. So it starts high and it goes down. And while this is happening, melatonin is taking its cues to know when to rise. So as cortisol goes down, your melatonin will start to rise especially as the sun sets. It will hit its peak at 12 midnight and that will happen in all humans even if you work the night shift. And there's also the reason there's much more chronic illness in night shift individuals than day shift is because they work against their natural circadian rhythm the way they were created. But adrenaline goes down melatonin goes up peaks at 12 Uh, we should already be into our sleep cycle so that's something that we need to talk to you about about (laughs) the late nights okay and then uh the whole thing starts over again when the sun rises uh in the morning okay and this creates this dance between these two things if i have a huge stressor happen at seven at night where i release an unnatural volume of adrenaline What will happen to my cortisol, I mean my melatonin, it will drop significantly. So then what happens to my ability to try to go to sleep in a few hours? It's hard to sleep because my melatonin isn't high. You need high melatonin in order to sleep. Sometimes you might supplement that as a kind of a bridge, but we're making melatonin all the time. So that is called circadian rhythm and the two chemicals, cortisol and melatonin. And they have to dance together that's the way you were created by your creator to work that way now humans are the only creatures on the planet that purposely choose to deprive themselves of sleep
0: i feel like yeah. you're talking to me right now
1: sorry i'm looking straight at you and saying, <laughs> michael there's nobody else in this conversation but you and me okay sent for this intervention okay <laughs> Right now,
0: okay. My wife is going to – she already loves you. She's going to love you even more <laughs> because, because of what you're saying now.
1: So we are the only creatures. Think about that. An animal, the only reason it will disrupt its circadian rhythm is because of crisis, okay? Most of your listeners are not in a state where they're running from a lion. It may feel like that, and I get that because we kind of like that feeling of being – amped up on the adrenaline, but we're not in life and death situations. We're in difficult situations, and I get that, and we have the pandemic, and we have the kids who can't get to school, and you know we're trying to teach them and do all these other things, and job <clears throat> is compromised, but it's not life and death for most people, but yet we get kind of addicted to that adrenaline surge, and that causes us to override the natural rhythm of cortisol and melatonin, and that is called your circadian rhythm. Okay. Mm. That is the rhythm that you were, you're supposed to be joined to, but many of us lose connection with it. So then we come to the second way that you sleep and that is called sleep debt, sleep debt. If I create enough sleep debt, you will eventually sleep. Okay. So as I use energy, Kind of the the runoff of that energy is a chemical called adenosine. Adenosine, and this adenosine, if you don't abide by your cor- your circadian rhythm will eventually the adenosine will cause you to sleep. Okay, uh, it will make you sleep eventually um, because as a human, you can't go without sleep. If you went took deprive somebody for sleep for seven days they would go psychotic and by day 13 they would die think of what could kill you in 13 days Hmm. Uh, there's not a ton of things on the planet that will do that but if you deprive somebody of sleep they will their system will eventually collapse and die because you have to have that sleep so adenosine is like Hey, if this person's not going to respect the rising and the sun again, the sun, then I'm going to come in and I will make, adenosine will make you go to sleep. Now, there's something that's interesting that can kind of plug up the adenosine receptor sites so they don't release, but they kind of build up, they kind of swell up, and eventually they will release. And that chemical that can plug up the receptor sites is caffeine. So we use caffeine. Interesting to plug up the adenosine receptor sites and they're, wa- they're wanting to push out. But then what happens once the caffeine wears out, you've got that awful feeling <laughs> where your stomach feels bad and you just feel like, man, I got the flu or something because adenosine is just going to like burst on the scene and it's going to take over no matter how much Red Bull or whatever you did, adenosine will come in and it will make you sleep and it might be, in the middle of the day, it'll make you sleep. You know, we know that one of the most primary uh, uh, major issues with sleep deprivation is how many automobile accidents happen. Uh, it, it's getting close these days to even uh, alcohol-related deaths that sleep deprivation is running a very close second for uh, motor vehicle accidents because the adenosine eventually makes a person sleep maybe while they're driving. Hmm. So... So those two rhythms, and I'd ask your listeners to think, which am I most accustomed to? If you're not kind of winding down and sleep, getting ready to go into you know sleep states before 10 o'clock, you're probably blowing right past the circadian window and relying on adenosine to eventually make you collapse to go to sleep, which is ultimately going to create all kinds of problems and there is very good research out there. I was looking at a study before we got together where they looked at over a million and million people in 16 different studies. And they found a direct correlation between the life expectancy or short related to short duration of sleep. And by short duration, we'd say under eight hours of sleep when that gets below six, that correlation goes even higher so it's literally taking years off your life and we know that by not sleeping correctly
0: my goodness so am i am i right to say this is sleep is is a newer um, something that's being studied more recently in in medical sciences and i i feel like even in just the last few years it's become more mainstream like on my phone i have the bedtime app that I can put an alert in to remind me to go to sleep and when to wake up. And if so, if it's more recent, why, why is that? Why is it something that we're just waking up to? No pun intended.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Well, uh, you know, people have talked about sleep and it's important for, you know, centuries. Okay. Mm. Uh, And you have different people, uh, in some of Shakespeare's writings, he talks about sleep. There's a, um, a uh, writer in the early 1600s, uh, Thomas Decker, who said, "Sleep is the golden chain that binds health and our bodies together."
0: Is that a great... 16th century?
1: 1600. Yeah, 16, Okay. And this guy said, "Sleep is the golden chain that binds health and our bodies together." I mean, they didn't have sleep studies. They didn't have hormone analysis. They didn't have EEG. But by putting it all together, he was in in London at the time where they were kind of looking at different things related to health and disease and different things. And this guy said, it's the golden chain that links us together. And I ask people every once in a while, how strong is your chain? Okay. You know, are we all walking around with a shoelace that's tying my health and my body together? And many of us are because we don't respect the sleep cycle and how important it is. But, but you are correct. There has been a, a, a surge of people looking at sleep. I mean, I told my story, right? Um, that was something that occurred in the last decade. And I've been formally trained in the brain and psychiatric illness and all that kind of stuff. And it, nobody taught me that in graduate school. Uh, mm. and, but I've learned that along the way just by stepping back and observing, like this thing's really important. And the deeper I get into sleep, the more I realize it is truly the most important thing that we will ever do in a 24 hour cycle. Um, it's what makes the creativity kick in, the problem solving, our health, our wellness is related to sleep. I do think that there's been some dissatisfaction with the mechanisms put in place in the early 90s that we thought was going to take care of everything. So, you know, front page of all the newspapers, magazines, early 1990s was Prozac was going to eradicate depression. That it would, we would no longer have depression in hmm. ten in ten years, right? That the, the onset of SSRIs, that select serotonin reuptake inhibitors, things like Prozac and Zoloft and Paxil, and you know all these different uh, antidepressants that didn't have all these negative side effects. That they would get rid of anxiety, depression, all these things. And I think uh, we all know now, because depression is the leading cause of disability in the entire world uh, at this point, uh, that it has not done that. And while it has helped in cases, I'm not opposed to the medicines, but it isn't what everybody thought it was going to be, where it was going to take care of everything. And that it wasn't just chemicals That was going to change us that there had to be more to that and so i think we start to look in other places and sleep continues to show and i'm seeing more and more like i said earlier that that sleep is connected to a lot of these mental illness i even have a question uh in relation to bipolar illness because the correlation between bipolar illness and early sleep problems is i've seen in the different people i've worked with extremely high and I wonder how much of this, it's not a third, like an ADHD, it's more than that. wonder how much is related to that. So there is a new interest. I think there's also a new market for it, in a sense. You know, we love data, right? And we love gadgets, and we love technology. And so we like our aura rings, we like our whoops, we like our Fitbits, <laughs> we like the iPhones. Those are really cool. And they're data, but that's all they are, is data. And very few people take the data and then actually do something with it or even know, well, what do I do? And unfortunately, some of these, de- a lot of these devices, when I test them against medical-grade, gold standard, polysomnograph, they don't line up. Like I do a lot of work with elite athletes that have R-rings and Fitbits and whoops, and sorry about the manufacturers out there. But when we put them up to medical-grade uh, sleep studies, they're not, they're not anywhere near the accuracy that we want. So we're kind of we're getting data because we like data, but it's not actually the correct data to, to help because we're not measuring b- brainwave activity with those data points. We're measuring heart rates or movement of the hand. And so everybody's got a device, but that device isn't probably giving them as, the accurate information that they need. And then they don't know what to do. So it says I'm sleeping less. What am I going to do about that? Or my deep sleep is less than this, or my REM sleep is more than this. They don't know what to do about it. It's just data for data's sake.
0: Interesting. I remember you and I had a conversation once. I think it was one of the first times you I heard you talk about sleep. And you not only talked about the sleep cycles with the, the hormones, but you talked about, I feel like it was a 90-minute a almost like mini cycle. Am I making yeah. sense? Am I remembering this correctly? Could you, could you talk about that a little bit, yeah, about what so happens over the course of hours?
1: Yeah, this is great. Uh, th- so now we, we're moving from kind of the chemical reactions, the measurements, which are, I'd like to get back to measurements at some point, because those are super important for people to understand, well, how do I really measure this well, which we've got op- options and ways to do that. But you're now going into sleep architecture, which is the technical word for that. What is the What am I, how am I building this restorative process, which is actually going to work as an anti-inflammatory to my body? How am I building this throughout the eight hours that I'm going to sleep? Okay. And let's first say the sleep architecture should be around eight hours. Okay. In the early 1900s, the average American was sleeping nine hours and 15 minutes. The ideal range is just over eight hours. The average American today is sleeping under seven hours a night, okay? So most of the people we're bumping into you know, are sleep-deprived. So they're mm. not letting – it's kind of like they've built this building, and they're all they're not to the end yet, and they don't have the roof on it, but then they go ahead and they start living in the building. Okay, So every night you have to build this architecture. You have to build this solid, resilient building to be able to manage the next day. And so as we build it, it has these different stages, just like building a house, okay? So first of all, it takes eight hours, okay? Many times it's going to take at least 15 minutes to get to sleep, okay? Uh, That's the ideal number. If you're going to sleep too fast under seven minutes, which I get this a lot from husband and wife. She says his head hits the pillow and he's asleep. That's the way it is for me. Yeah, in one minute. Okay, so. I could fall
0: asleep right now if you gave me a good ninety seconds. <laughs>
1: exactly. So anything under seven minutes is actually a problem. It means you're not you're not working off a circadian rhythm. You're working off a of what? Sleep debt and a flood of uh, adenosine, which we talked about earlier. And so the, there's so much sleep debt that you're just going to crash. So that's a problem. Anything more than thirty minutes would be considered insomnia. So the kind of the in The ideal spot, the sweet spot for falling asleep is around 15 to 20 minutes. So I need to build that in if I'm supposed to get eight hours of sleep, right? So how long do I have to be in bed with that formula? At least eight hours and 15 minutes. And then the average person, and this changes as we get older, but the average person, their brain is going to wake up right around 30 minutes throughout the evening. So a minute here, a micro pause here, maybe a couple minutes here, but we have what's called wake after sleep onset but in the sleep literature that's referred to as waso okay waso average person is going to get in they might even not know they woke up but there's going to be 30 minutes so if i add that and the time to get to sleep now i'm having 45 minutes so my time in bed isn't eight hours my time in bed is probably eight hours and 45 minutes to get eight hours to build the house if that makes sense okay so then the house is built in two big sections Okay the first 4 hours is going to be 95% of what's going on is going to be body restoration. This is going to be the building back of all the muscle groups and large or- and organs that were used throughout the evening or throughout the day are now going to restore themselves. Hmm. Okay and there's there's this is 90 to 90 about 95% of the time that's what everything is focused on is the muscle groups and the organs. So that in case from a, uh, if there was a crisis, okay, imagine somebody sleeping out in a cave thousands of years ago, if the lion comes out and they've got to be ready to run. And so from a preservation standpoint, fix the body first so I can deal with a crisis. Now, most of us, we're not going to have a lion come walking into our room at 2 a.m., but our sleep cycle is kind of built so that my body could still work after four hours. And this sometimes creates a false sense for people where they say, well, I just need four hours of sleep. For your body, maybe, but ultimately, that is not what really good sleep is, is not four hours. And the reason you're waking up, a lot of people out there waking up at 2.30, 3, is because they're halfway through the cycle, the body's restored, and they don't know how to get to restoring their brain, which is the second half. During that first half, you're going to go into deep sleep, deep sleep, which is like a hibernation state. Um, These are going to be a 90 minute segments, but you're going to spend a lot of time in deep sleep. Ultimately, throughout the entire night, you should spend about 20 to 25% of your sleep should be deep sleep. Okay. Deep sleep is where a lot of your hormones are being manufactured. So we talked earlier about these athletes, but a big one is testosterone, estrogen, progesterone for all three males and females have all three of these hormones. But for the males, their testosterone production is super important during deep sleep. Females, uh, progesterone, estrogen, super important. If you're not getting enough deep sleep, then what happens is you're not going to make that correctly. Okay. So then after that four hour break you now make a shift for the next four hours where you're only going to restore about five percent of the time your body and you're going to do 95 percent brain restoration now you're going to dig in and we're going to work on restoring the brain and what happens Hmm. now is we now go into REM sleep rapid eye movement which you might know of as when you start to dream dreaming states okay And that dreaming cycle, when that happens, which ideally, depending on our age, but ideally we want our REM percentage to be right around 20 to 25% as well of our sleep cycle would be consistent of these dreaming states that we cycle in and out of. They're super important to the brain's ability to restore itself and also the brain's ability to consolidate memories, to make memories. So think of it this way, all day long I'm walking around with this kind of small pail where I'm putting all these experiences into that hopefully are gonna become memories. And I'm gonna have this pail, I'm gonna fill it up for my day. And then I'm gonna carry it into sleep. And once I get into REM, I take all of those things out of the little pail and I start to etch them on the brain permanently on something called the hippocampus. And these become etched in a way that they become long-term memory. They were not long-term memory until I cycled into these REM states. They weren't occurring earlier in the day because there's not enough resource for the brain to store it yet. This happens in REM. So many people with memory issues, this is going to come about from disturbance in REM sleep. Hmm. So REM is all about the brain. Can I function without that last four hours? I can but at the cost of my brain's health. So the way I like to look at it is the first half of sleep is kind of like what's in my cash in my wallet today, okay? Like I look at my wallet, what do I got, okay? That's what I've got for the day. That's my deep sleep, the first half of sleep. The second half of sleep, REM sleep, is like what's in my 401k? What am I building into 10 years, 20, 30, 40 years from now into my brain so it's going to be here and working well when i'm 70 80 90. and some of the saddest things i see i work with some really elite people but i i see these entrepreneurs these ceos of companies who've made millions upon millions of dollars and they have everything that you can imagine and they're 70 and they don't have their brain and they would give you everything they have to be able to remember things about their grandkids or their kids, or I worked with a a gentleman recently where he's worried about if he's gonna be able to have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for lunch and his net worth is over a billion dollars, okay? Where are we investing our energy and our resources? And I would say the most important investment is into the sleep cycle so that this second half, this brain, this long-term investment can pay dividends in the future. Man, you got me preaching now, Uh you know, I got to settle down. I'm getting fired up about this stuff. This is exciting, isn't it? It's fun.
0: Well, and it's interesting because I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, this, this convergence with rest, which is, it's something in the, in the biblical narrative that's commanded. Yeah. Uh, Hey, stop, slow down, take a day off. Um, and and it's one of these things again that i said it to to you when you you talked about who you are that there is this convergence between science and spirituality that in some ways it's like sometimes the bible is ancient and primitive and backward and other times it feels like it's way ahead of its time and and i'm also was thinking as you were sharing about dreams how often in the biblical narrative There is a, there's an awareness of and an acceptance of God speaking through dreams, through visions. People fall asleep, they wake up with this renewed understanding of, oh, this is what's happening in the world around me. And even uh, more modern psychology, I'm thinking of Carl Jung, talks about this idea of the dreams and what are the dreams saying, and what are the patterns, and what are we seeing. And it's almost this. I wonder if there's an awareness of we go through, as you said, and fill up this pail. And then at some point when we're unpacking the pail and putting this into our hippocampus, something happens to us where we see something that happened in our lives in our day that we otherwise would not have uh, that we otherwise would not have experienced um, yeah. so yeah you are preaching and that's totally fine that's acceptable <laughs> um, actually
1: that's a that's a good segue into I got um a text from a good friend of mine who's a pastor. Uh, A.J. Sherrill, who was at uh, Mars Hill, is now Charleston. But uh, we were talking about sleep and this whole biblical narrative and how relevant it is. And he said this, if you want, I I want to read this to you. He said, consider this. And he went through these different things. Adam is put into a deep sleep while Eve is formed. Hmm. Abram is put into a deep sleep when God creates and literally walks through the covenant. Jacob's ladder occurs during sleep. Daniel dreams of the four beasts. An angel tells Joseph not to divorce Mary in his sleep. Pilate's wife is given a revelation about Jesus through a nightmare. Possibly all of revelation was given to John in his sleep. And he says, I could go on, but you kind of get the point. Succinctly put, many people that have shaped human history most were given visions and revelations while sleeping joseph wasn't climbing the highest mountain in nazareth when he gained insight about the child mary was carrying it came through a dream when he was lowest to the ground hmm <laughs> and i am that person that gets stuck into climb the mountain climb the mountain climb the mountain when really god's saying be vulnerable just rest. Yeah.
0: And I'm going gonna,
1: I'm gonna to get you there. And science even pushes us that way. So there's a few things that happen in brain structures during REM sleep, during dreams, that increase in the human brain. One is our ability to detect errors. It improves. People who have more REM sleep can detect errors and things better than people who have less REM sleep. Our motivation to engage in actions increases with REM sleep. Our ability to gen- to recognize patterns, our sensory motor speed, our cognitive planning, our interface with ourselves and our self-awareness. These are different areas of the brain that, activate- that get activated during REM that do this. Our emotions and our memory get activated. Our arousal and our ability to complete tasks. And when you look at when people solve tasks, if I give people a a task or a problem at the beginning of the day and ask them to solve it eight hours later in the early evening, their accuracy is much less than if I gave the person the problem before they went to sleep and then they woke up the next morning and had to answer the problem. It's almost twice uh, the, uh, the correctiveness in their response when they sleep on the problem. Isn't that fascinating?
0: That is fascinating. Yeah, that is really fascinating. So yeah, it, it's there is a holistic nature to this, isn't there?
1: Oh yeah, and there's a very spiritual nature to this. Oh yeah. In, in order, the deeper you go into the brain, is like going as far out into the universe. It just, it's deeper, 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 and you're like, wow,
0: <laughs> we yeah.
1: are fearfully and wonderfully made.
0: Joseph Campbell uses the phrase, the inner reaches of outer space. You ever heard that? (laughs) (laughs) You were going to talk about measurements. Um, Help us understand that a little bit.
1: Yeah. So it's very important that if I want to know what the brain's doing. So when we go into these different stages of sleep, it's the brain that's doing that. Okay. And the brain has neurochemicals, neurons in it that are managing that's managing electrical current that's what keeps you alive is electricity okay and during these different stages of sleep different levels of electricity are released that move us from one stage to another okay so you you measure that with an eeg an electroencephalogram okay i actually have in my uh, inventory over here i've got eight polysomnographs little eegs that you can wear at night with little stickers and you can see actually what your brain's doing all night long you can see when you drop into deep sleep when you drop into wake after sleep onset how long it's taking you get to sleep how much rem and then we can look at that to compare to what age you're at because everybody changes in their sleep as they get older okay if you've had little children at home you know they do a lot of sleep when they're babies and there's a reason for that but as we get older that sleep changes so we need to compare to our age so in order to measure the brain and it's what it's doing in sleep you need to actually hook to the brain so i can't measure what my brain's doing by putting something on my wrist that's not going to happen it might give an estimate or it might have an algorithm for estimating but it's not going to do it the only way to measure truly sleep patterns is is to measure accurate sleep parents with polysomnograph okay and so there you would you know measure the electri- electrical activity in the brain One, something that's very interesting about the electrical activity in the brain is that we're in when we're in rem this mysterious state this dreaming state our brain is actually more awake and firing more electrical current than in any awakening time that we have during the day which is fascinating
0: That is fascinating.
1: Yeah, our body is immobilized because there's this kind of a break point in the brain where it shuts the body down so we won't act on our dreams. But what's going on in the brain from an electrical standpoint is much higher volumes of electrical current than we would ever produce during the day. So this dream, this REM state is very mysterious in what it's doing, and you have to measure it with EEG. Another thing that's super important during sleep that people don't realize is 90% of the brain's energy comes from oxygen, okay? Is we convert oxygen into energy. 90% of our energy comes from oxygen. Only 10% comes from food and water and other things. And what happens a lot of times when we're asleep, when we're asleep, some of our airways can get somewhat compromised and we don't realize that based on body position, pillow, if we have more inflammation in our bodies, if we have a little bit more weight that we're carrying than we should, and we can decrease how much oxygen you were taking in and we can, um, cause something called oxygen saturation. So how much oxygen is in our blood system to get below a level of 94%, which is very, very critical level. Okay. And we don't want it to get lower than that, but I would say, um, Four to five out of 10 people are probably desatting when they're sleeping below 94% and they don't realize that. And the problem is once you desat below 94%, you're going to kill brain cells. And so what we need to see is what's your oxygen saturation while you're sleeping at night to see if there's a way that we might need to intervene with that. And so we have a little ring that you put on your finger or your thumb that actually measures what your oxygen saturation is at night so that we can make sure that you're not having any problems with
0: oxygen flow. So those are the two. You do all this remotely. Like you send it to somebody at their house.
1: Yeah. For as little as 150 bucks, you know, we can measure oxygen saturation, real time EEG and create sleep architecture and put it on a graph and show them exactly to their age, what all these different things are doing and how it might affect them currently, but also in the future, um, and try to then optimize that. So you can't, if you don't have data points, real accurate data points, it's hard to know: is the melatonin I'm taking is that helping me or hurting me? Is the blue light I'm using in the morning is that helping? You know, are the different supplements I'm using, the um, sleep hygiene things I'm doing at night, like keeping the room cooler, those kind, are those helping or not helping? You need to be able to measure first, try some interventions, and then measure again to see, am I making my sleep more optimized over time?
0: Fascinating. What would you say, one one of the things that I wrote down as I was listening to you is about um, better sleep, like what are things we can ensure? In the article that you mentioned on ESPN, it's called The NBA's Dirty Little Secret for those of you who are interested in reading it and it Tim is featured prominently in the article. Um, there's there's something in there where they kind of speak against naps. Um, not saying don't ever do it, but it's not optimal. Um, but I'm wondering, like they give a couple of examples, one of which is LeBron James, who's adamant about sleep, and some of the things that he does. Um, but what I wrote down was this idea, when you said melatonin hates light, how many times are we holding on to our cell phones right up until the minute we go to bed or staring at a television right up until the time we go to bed? Um, are Um, Do those things make impacts? And if they do, what are some things we can do to improve our night's sleep? And I'd love to hear about naps because I love naps. <laughs> and maybe I love naps because I have a inconsistent sleep schedule.
1: Your adenosine is taking over because you're flipping <laughs> back. Um so g- great question. You know, what are the things we can do and what's the science behind it? So we talked about how melatonin doesn't like, like light, okay? Well, there's a particular spectrum of light that is really problematic to melatonin, and that is the blue wave or the blue spectrum of light, okay? Um, and that's actually uh, a, a blue wave of light affects all kinds of things. It actually affects migration patterns in animals, animals, animals don't just go south because they have a calendar and it says it's time to go south or it's too cold and they go. south. that's not why they do that. It's because they, they get a decrease of volume of blue light and their brain goes and looks for blue light. Okay. And that's Mm. what makes them migrate. Okay. And um, another factor that affects uh, humans is seasonal affective disorder or SADS when people get depressed in the winter months, and they get depressed primarily because they're not getting enough light, and particular blue light. Okay, It's blue light. So blue light is kind of the enemy of melatonin, but it's the friend of cortisol. So that energy I need in the morning, I need from blue light, and because of our artificial environments that we live in, we need to introduce a little bit more blue light to our brain in the morning. Okay, so that involves getting outside, okay, which is super important. But also there's a there are some great lights out there that you can use in the morning for about 15 to 20 minutes that will improve your circadian rhythm, because it'll wake the brain up more, which will suppress the melatonin, and then make the melatonin rise later when it gets dark out. There's a a light made by Phillips that you can find on Amazon, probably for a hundred bucks uh, called Philips go light blue or Philips energy light. Those things I've used them for over a decade. Uh, they are phenomenal for helping with circadian rhythm. So you have to first start with the morning. Okay. And get that going. You need to get out in the, out in the daylight. Okay. So if you measure like foot candles, okay, right now, uh, foot candles, the amount of light that I'm exposed to in this room, and you can get an app on your phone for free that will measure that. What you'll see is most rooms that you're in probably have a foot candle volume of light of maybe 60 foot candles, okay? If I was to step outside this window here and and go out in the lawn, and it's still a little cloudy here right now, and hold that same uh, measurement out, I would be over 10,000 foot candles just six feet away from me outside even though i'm by a window i'm not getting the same type of light and we don't realize that and i recommend people to get these free light meters on your phone and just start to look where you're spending most of your time throughout the day and realize how important the difference is because your brain can't figure out circadian rhythm if it doesn't get good volume of light during the day okay so blue light in the morning Get yourself out in natural light during the day. And then I'd encourage people who have problems with their circadian rhythm to when the sun is setting, take some time to watch it. So it's a transition point for the brain to realize, hey, we're moving out of light into dark. And when we do that, the melatonin will start to rise. So then I want to be very, very careful. Once the sun is set, is what kind of light am I going to expose my brain to? which could trick it to start releasing adrenaline again and suppressing melatonin. And like you mentioned, a lot of the high-definition devices that we now have, what makes them so so good at high def is they have a lot of blue, blue in them, okay? And that blue, if I expose myself to blue for over an hour, I'm going to decrease my melatonin production by over 30%. And we're wondering why we can't get to sleep. I've lost 30% of the melatonin I needed because I was looking at this device that my brain said, oh, the sun must be up. I better not be making melatonin when really that's not the case. So we want to use, you know, they do have the things where you can put red light. The thing that I would highly recommend on computers is a free app called F.Lux, L-U-X, F.Lux. And what it does, it's the coolest app, um, I've used it for years, but on your computer, it, it reads your zip code and it charts that against when the sun is rising and when the sun is setting and it gradually ever so slightly changes the color of light of the computer to match what's happening to the sun outside. I mean, is that like cool? That's or what? amazing. Yeah. So you wouldn't notice it, but at night, if you put my computer next to uh, another computer from during the day, you'd see, oh, there's a little bit of red, orange in there and less blue, but it's very subtle. And the reason I'm doing that is I don't want to hurt my melatonin production. And one other thing you can do on this light thing, which is super important, is F.Lux will also interface with your computer and your wireless system that you can put, these hue lights in your house, and the lights will literally change their shade to match what's going on with the sun outside, based off of what's coming off the computer with F.lux. So I'm kind of <laughs> a, I'm a kind of a tech geek. So if you went out into my living room space, at different times of the day, you'd say, that light is changing a little bit. And sure enough, my floodlights or the lights in the ceiling, the the recessed lighting, they're changing their color ever so slightly to match what's going on with me. I call it biometric lighting. So when you think about lights, you don't think about this much, but you're exposed to the same kind of light all day long in your office, right? Now that we're all in our basements doing work and all that kind of stuff, We're exposed to the same color spectrum when in reality, the color spectrum is changing every three minutes outside. And our bodies are looking for that change to know what to do next, but we're putting ourselves in these shelters where the light is always the same, so our brain gets super confused.
0: Oh, my goodness. That's amazing.
1: That was a lot of info. I know. But you, Ah. I'm I'm excited about this stuff. This is really- Oh, I know.
0: That's Listen. why every time, every time I talk to you, I, I leave and with this new understanding of ourselves and our world. And that's why, <laughs> that's why I love having you on the podcast.
1: It's, it's really awesome. So that's light. Other things that you can pay attention to are temperature. So really, um, I'm kind of a geek about this too. Um, we, <laughs> we have a, a separate air conditioner standalone in our bedroom, uh, because we try to get the temperature in the room below 60 degrees, um, sometimes as low as 57 in the room, because we know that the body sleeps better when it's cooler. Now you don't want to get too cold. So we have different blankets that again, we can change as my body, as we go through different stages of sleep, my body is changing its temperature And so I can work with the temperature of the room if it's low, but I can't work with the temperature of the room if the temperature is too high. So a good kind of starting point for people is think about mid-60s for temperature. Even though it feels a little cool, throw a couple of other blankets on your bed. Now, why temperature? Because (laughs) the middle of our sleep cycle, okay, that two o'clock-ish time, okay, up to right around four the body gets to its lowest temperature it'll be in a 24-hour cycle. So you probably didn't think, hey, I'm 98.6 all the time. No, 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 no. You're not 98.6 all the time. You're actually fluctuating body temperature throughout the day, and your body temperature nadir or low point happens in these early morning hours, and that's what sets helps set the circadian rhythm as well, which is so fascinating. So people will wonder, well, what happens if I break through that nadir and I'm awake? So I break through that low point. Um, and that's when the circadian rhythm gets really disturbed. If you break mm. through that two thirty or three, that's why you feel kind of sick or kind of, if you stay up all night long, because you broke through that, that midpoint where the body said, well, we, we should have been asleep for four hours. So Temperature is super important to sleep, and so we want to help that by keeping the room nice and low. But then add blankets. There's other technical or technology devices you can use, like chili pads or bed jets. Which I have a bed jet as well that can um, actually change. I put it on different settings so it changes temperature of the air coming under the blankets at certain times of night to match what my circadian rhythm should be doing. Gosh, is that geeky? I can't believe I just <laughs> said that. Can I? Can we rewind that and take that out? That was super.
0: No. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> this episode sponsored by Bedjets. Yeah. Is that?
1: <laughs> or <chili> that's, pad.
0: <laughs> that's unbelievable. Yeah, unbelievable.
1: Actually, there's a couple football teams that they use bed Jets to control their circadian rhythm. NFL teams, um, which is fascinating.
0: Yeah. Wow. And all of this, all of this is connected to something that we think is as simple as sleep.
1: Oh, sleep is an awful word for what we do. It'd be like if I asked you, hey, what did you do today? And you said, I was awake. (laughs) And I said, really? That's what you did? Yeah, I was awake. When we say, well, what did I do last night while I slept? Oh, my goodness. You have no idea the architecture that was being built and everything's changing. Even your... Desire for food, so two hormones get released, leptin and ghrelin, okay? And they impact, leptin uh, tells you when you're satiated and ghrelin tells you when you're hungry, okay? These two are totally linked into your sleep patterns. And if you're getting less sleep, those hormones get out of balance and it dramatically affects your ability to maintain weight. Uh, It also, uh, if you get under six hours of sleep, Your risk for developing diabetes increases dramatically as well because these different other hormones like insulin get impacted by sleep. Everything's tied. There's so much wondrous work that's happening during sleep that we just want to push to the side and say, hey, I got to finish this email. It's like, whoa, that email means nothing, man. Get to sleep. That's where you're going to do some serious work is in your sleep cycle
0: that is so fascinating the thing the thing i think that stands out to me that you said is there's more electricity in our brain in rem sleep than there is when we're awake and tying that to what we what what you read from aj and and the reality of dreams and the power that those have to reveal things to us i think it's jung who talks about um in in our rem sleep our our ego that's protecting us from reality is is defenseless, and our and our brain or our soul can actually speak to us and say what it wants. Um, but yeah, oh my goodness, we we'll just have to we'll figure out another episode because I feel like we're just getting started on this.
1: Yeah, it's all, there's so much to talk about and how we can address this. And you know, fifty percent of your people out there that are listening have some type of sleep problem. You know, that's what's occurring in the United States. It's one of the leading, the grow, most fastest growing problem in the country is is sleep issues and you add a pandemic you add all these anticipatory things and what's the first thing to go is sleep and and you're some of you're saying doc i'd love to sleep hours eight hours but i can't sleep four or i wake up at 3 a.m and i can't go back to sleep and the answer is to not look at can i tranquilize my brain so i can make any of you sleep if i give you enough volume right that is not sleep And the problem with a lot of the sedatives out there is they inhibit our REM sleep. And what is REM? REM is our long-term investment. Okay. And so, yes, we might be sedated, just like as if I I was going to operate on you or something. But that's not circadian rhythm. And so when you're having to get to that point where it's only the medicine that will let you sleep, you need to back up and do a, a major inventory of what's going on and get some things measured and fix this thing. Cause this is the greatest predictor of your future health is how strong is the chain that chain that connects your body to your health, which is sleep.
0: Wow, man. Thank you so much for, for coming on again.
1: Oh, I love it.
0: Yeah. Love such, it. such fun conversations. Um, how can our listeners learn more about your work? Where can they find you online? If they want to even explore, um, some of the sleep diagnostic work that you're doing, where can they find you?
1: Yeah, uh, you can send me an email directly if you'd like. And that would be doc, D-O-C, at RoyerNeuroscience.com. Doc at RoyerNeuroscience.com. You can also go to RoyerNeuroscience.com and you can see some of the videos of different professional athletes that we work with the ESPN article. You can see some of the research we've done in the clinical populations. Um, and you can all, also find out a lot of us about us at the website, but feel free to send me an email. Uh, if you have questions, you want to go deeper, you want to figure this out and jump on the other uh, side of this and go in a positive direction. Uh, I'd love to help you. I'd love to help Perfect. your listeners. And
0: I'll, I'll put a link for those of you listening. There's going to be a link in the notes to this episode. So you can, uh, as you listen, if you want to take your phone or whatever device you're listening on, you can click on that and we'll have not only a link to RoyerNeuroscience.com, but also a direct link to Tim so you can communicate with him and learn more. Um, as I'm sure like you feel like me, Tim said, uh, there's so much information and there is a lot to to work through, but the, there's also the reality of what we said at the very beginning, this union, this connection, this deep uh, connection between science and spirituality and the human body. So Tim, my friend, thank you again for being here on the Changing Faith Podcast. I so appreciate your work.
1: Thank you. This is just a wonderful time. I love talking to your listeners.
0: Right on. And thank all of you once again for joining with us for another episode of the Changing Faith Podcast. My hope is that we would continue to grow in our recognition of the beauty and complexity of the human body and that we would learn to honor that, and that we would see, as the psalmist says, that we are woven together in our mother's womb, that we would receive the gift of rest and sleep offered to us uh, by God, by this divine mystery um, that has brought us together. So may you rest well in these days uh, ahead of us. And so again, thank you to Dr. Royer for being with us. I always learn so much And thank you for those of you who joined with us for another episode of the Changing Faith podcast. That is it for today. And so until next time, as always, much love and peace be with you.